Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. Um, let me open in a word of prayer. Father God, I just thank you for the pretty weather we've had today, the cooler weather. I thank you for this group of people that found time in their schedule to come out and study your Torah. I thank you for your Torah. I thank you for uh, the confidence it gives us, the stability, the security. I thank you that it's got an infinite depth to it, and we can talk about it and study it for a long, long time. And I just ask that you be in our conversation this evening and just help us to uh, ask the questions that are really on our heart and to listen to one another and teach us, Father God. Teach us the things that you have for us to know. In Yeshua's name, amen. Hi, Margaret. How are you? Is this, does this thing seem a little loud? Yeah. That, do one of you guys back there know how to turn it down? It's the one that says LAV, and you just move the little slider down just a little bit. Okay, that's, yeah, see, you're, you're doing the right idea. See, it's easy, isn't it? That stuff's not hard. This is, <laughs> don't add the, you know, the, the acoustical effects. Yeah, don't put the reverb in there. <laughs> How about this one? That's a good one. That sounds great. You have a, a voice made for radio, they say, right? Okay, let's see. Last week, if I'm not mistaken, uh, we ended by starting chapter 15. We read the first few verses of chapter 15 in Deuteronomy. We're in Deuteronomy. We're, uh, I was thinking we might finish it before the end of the year, but I don't think so. There's like 30 some odd chapters. Let's see, what is it? 34 chapters in Deuteronomy, and we're only on 15. So we'll, we'll finish it January for sure, but I don't know that we'll finish it before the end of the year. Anyway, um, and as we know, we're talking about, this is Moses' monologue. That's my phone. It does that when it gets a message. Yeah. Um, Moses' monologue, he's, he's, how old? Does anybody, can anybody tell me how old Moses is at this point? 120, right. Yep, that's, well, yeah, close enough to 120 that it doesn't, you know, it gets lost in the noise, right? Yeah. 120 years old, and he already knows, God has told him, that he doesn't get to cross the Jordan River and to go over into the land that, he, that God promised to the Israelites. And so he's telling them all the things that they really need to know uh, before they go over there. And it's really, I've always found this book to be real emotional because you can really sense uh, Moses and God's concern, you know. And you feel... I don't know, it's kind of melancholy because, you, you know, they've got so much potential, but yet he seems to know they're not going to uh, live up to it. Anyway, chapter 15, see, he's talking along about various different things. Deuteronomy, as I've said before, in Greek means the second law, and it, a lot of it is, is re repeating things that we've learned in uh, the earlier books of the Torah. But um, anyway, why don't we just go ahead with where we are. Um, I'm going to read some of chapter 15 because I did before, 
And I thought, we can read this, and then we can talk about it, and then move on, um, if that's okay. Well, it's a busy place out in front of our store today. Anyway, I'm going to read up to verse, through verse 11. This Deuteronomy chapter 15. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel the loan he has made to his fellow Israelite. He shall not require payment from his fellow Israelite or brother, because Yahweh's time for canceling debts has been proclaimed. You may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel any debt that your brother owes you. However, there should be no poor among you, for in the land that Yahweh your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance, he will richly bless you if only you fully obey Yahweh your God and are careful to follow all these commandments that I'm giving you today. For Yahweh your God will bless you as he has promised, and you will lend to many nations but will borrow from none. You will rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. If there is a poor man among your brothers in any of the towns of the land that Yahweh your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your poor brother. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend whatever he needs. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year of canceling debts is near, so that you do not show ill will towards your needy brother and give him nothing. He may then appeal to Yahweh against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to him and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, Yahweh your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your brothers and toward the poor and needy in your land. I know we read that last week, but I, so we don't need to discuss it in great detail, but are there any other thoughts about that that... Uh, and I'm sure you sat there and noodled on that all week long. The year of canceling debts. Um, that's, does anyone know the name of that? Shemitah. Yeah, and that's defined in, uh, in Leviticus. I don't remember the chapter. But it's uh, one of, the, one of the, the rules. Shemitah. S-S-H-M-E-T-A-H, more or less. More or less. It's kind of a funny name. It's, um, in English, it often comes down to the sabbatical year. It's every seventh year. Every seventh year, there's a lot of things for it. One of the main things it talked about in Leviticus is you are to allow the land a rest. The, the real idea is the land needs to rest for this year. And so you don't harvest crops. You don't till the land. You just let it, let it sit for a year. And during that year, you can... Uh, you can Take the food from it and eat, but you can't take the food from it and cultivate it and sell it. So you're supposed to just uh, let it lie fallow. Mm -hmm. Nope, they did not rotate it. And that, that's an interesting question. Um, it would have made more sense to rotate it, right? But the, the thing, if you go back and read the thing in Leviticus, God tells them, he says, if you'll do this, I'll give you enough food, enough, you know, enough growth in the sixth year that you won't need it for the seventh year. Uh, so it, it was a test of faith. It was a, a, uh, another example of the whole idea of the Sabbath. Okay. Yeah, well, that was on the, on the 50th, right? See, the eighth, I see, no, no, you're right. I take it back. You're right, because on the eighth year, if you hadn't planted, 
you don't get, I mean, in the eighth year, if you hadn't planted in the seventh, you won't be eating in the eighth. So, yeah, he'll give you enough, basically, give you enough till the next crop comes in. Skip a year. You know, when you think about it, it's no worse than your crop gets hailed out one year, and that happens, you know. So, I think it, the idea, uh, there's a lot of ideas, but one of the ideas is God's just trying to teach him to be, that he's dependent on them. Just as a little rabbit trail, farmers usually know this. <laughs> Done. So you're, guarantee, you're guaranteed a sabbatical year, mm -hmm. right? Where you don't, because you're not doing anything. Yeah. So you have time to study the Torah or whatever. Yep. Oh, sure. It's not like you're going to be bored. Yeah. Yeah. I think the main idea was to, number one, the main idea was to let the land lie fallow. But number two was to not go and do your normal, you know, got to get ahead, got to make a buck, got to gotta work real hard and get all this stuff done. You're supposed to take a rest. Trust in God and take a rest. Anyway, obviously another thing that you did was you canceled the debts. Now, life would sure be different around here if that happened, but there's a lot of interesting things it said in there. It said, uh, this is the, the debt cancellation thing is for your fellow Israelites, not for the foreigners. So you can have, you know, 30-year mortgages with the foreigners, but with, the, uh, with your brothers, you can't do that. And then it also warns you to, uh, when some, if some brother comes up to you and says, hey, you know, I really need some help here, and uh, Shemitah's next year, you're going, oh, man. It specifically says, don't, you know, don't be tight-fisted. The whole idea of not being tight-fisted is good all the time anyway, right? Okay. Any other thoughts? Let's move on. Would someone like to read verses 12 through 18? Glad you came, Margaret. Verse 12. And if thy brother, an Hebrew man or an Hebrew woman, be sold unto thee and serve thee six years, then in the seventh year thou shalt let him go free from thee. And when thou sendest him out free from thee, thou shalt not let him go away empty. Thou shalt furnish him liberally out of the flock and out of the floor and out of thy winepress wine of that wherewith Yahweh thy Elohim hath blessed thee, thou shalt give unto him. And thou shalt remember that thou was the bondman in the land of Egypt, and Yahweh thy Elohim redeemed me. Therefore I command thee this day, this thing today. And it shall be, if he say unto thee, I will not go away from thee, because he loves thee in thine house, because he is well with thee, then... Thou shalt take an awl and thrust it through his ear unto the door, and he shall be thy servant forever. And also unto thy maidservant thou shalt do likewise. It shall not, it shall not seem hard unto thee when thou sends him away free from thee, for he hath been worth a double hired servant to thee in serving thee six years, and Yahweh thy Elohim shall bless thee in all that thou dost. Okay. This is uh, interesting. I, I don't know, for whatever reason, sometimes some things stick out to you. 
Do you know where we read this about this before? In right the book of right Exodus. after the Ten Commandments. Exactly. It's in the book of Exodus, and it's exactly right after the Ten Commandments. And I often struggled with, what on earth is that doing right after the Ten Commandments? But it's exactly this same stuff. Um, and, it, uh, and it, it's taken me a while to kind of get my head around this in some ways. First of all, it helps to understand that, you know, in, back in those times, uh, you didn't have big employers and, and, and contracts that, you know, employment contracts and uh, severance packages and all this kind of stuff. You know, it was if you could find a place to work where the employer treated you well um, and paid you enough to live on, that was pretty good. But um, most of the time, the people, you know, they, they didn't, the standard of living was low enough that they didn't have a good, it wasn't like I need to go home to my wife and kids. A lot of times they were just looking for something to, to get by on, food to eat, a place to sleep. And if uh, you were, happened to be a servant, hired, now this is for fellow Hebrews, right? You were hired uh, as a, a servant, uh, and, and the, the master was a nice guy, and he treated you well, and he provided you with a decent place to live, and he gave you, you know, three squares a day, and uh, you, it would be very common for a person, a guy, a person to think, well, this is okay, you know, I don't know why I would want to go do something else. This guy's pretty nice to me. I know there's a lot of not, a lot less nice people out there, um, and um, I just might want to stay. You know, I guess my point is, is it's not so unusual that a person would want to stay, given the way things worked back then. John. Well, how many people were under Abraham? Uh, Abraham. Abraham's the best example because what right. was his what was his indentured servants or bond servants' name? Eleazar, Eleazar, and you remember where the story of Eleazar, Eleazar of Damascus, right? And I guess it's more legend than scripture, but um, Abraham ran into him when he had left Ur and was on the way to, to uh, the land that God would show him, and uh, the guy was clearly a runaway slave, and he said, will you take care of me? You know, will you, can I work for you? And Abraham said, yeah. And then it wasn't too long after that, this is the hypothetical part, that his master or agents of his master came looking for him. And Abraham uh, just said, you know, how much is he worth? I'll just buy him. So Abraham kept him. Uh, he had obviously made it known, Eleazar had made it known to Abraham, he didn't want to go back. So um, Eleazar became Abraham's servant, and then he did exactly what it was saying here in verse 16. It says, but if your servant says to you, I do not want to leave you because, uh, you know, I love you and your family and I'm well off with you, right? Um, so he chose to stay. And you know he did that because who did Abraham send to get a wife for Isaac? Eleazar. So he obviously trusted him with everything. At one point in time, he said, you know, I'm childless, so Eleazar is going to inherit. So... The word bondservant, this is where I'm going with all of this. The word bondservant, in essence, means uh, a servant by choice with a reason of love. You know, and it says right there, that's why he did it. The servant by choice by the reason, for the reason of love. That's what we are. That's what the, the apostles call us. We're bondservants to Yeshua, to the Messiah. Yeah. So a bond still is a contract. 
good. I knew you'd do something like that. That's great. Tell me about that. Well, it is. I mean, it's just another name for for there's there's agreement. There's two parties. There's an exchange. Mm -hmm. um, and like I like what you said. What's that? There's a little of that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. True. And it's funny you're nailing yourself to the place where you put the law form of Torah. <laughs> That's right? a good point. Yeah. The mezuzah, yeah. which means doorpost. Um, it's got a sign, right? You're running right. around with a ring in your ear. So right. That's a, there's a sign to the covenant. You're, you're spoken for, in other words. There's no other master that mm -hmm. can become your master because you already have a master. Yeah. So I, back to the Yeshua, the idea of, you know, we're the bondservant of Yeshua. You know, the, he gave his life as a sacrifice. Well, we have effectively done the same by being a bondservant. Mm hmm Right? Yep. Whatever we do and produce, it's all because of the this this bond servant contract that we have. Well, we do everything at his command, if you will. We're, we work right. for him. Right. So that that's love because love is keeping his commandments, right? There you go. That fits. Very well. So, yeah. Just a second. We will bring a microphone. Part of the, um, when Yeshua said you would deny yourself and follow me, mm -hmm. or disown yourself, mm -hmm. you no longer belong to yourself, you belong to Yeshua. But the thought that I was thinking too in terms of uh, out of Egypt came a vast mixed company, mm -hmm. they wouldn't have inherited any land in Israel. Yep. So they wouldn't have had their own crops unless they were actually working for a master that allowed them to use the land to feed their family and so on uh, because they were in their midst, but they wouldn't have been able to pass it down from generation. Am I mistaken in that? No, no, I don't know that you're mistaken. I was just trying to think of, are you suggesting that when they got into Israel, into the promised land, well, they... Well, even, even in, in terms of the land being portioned out, so you have a generation of people who are servants that are attached that don't belong to a tribe that don't inherit a portion. Oh, are you talking about the, okay, the... So uh, the servants. Yes. So yes, the servants yes, yes, could yes. attach themselves to a family mm -hmm. for generations and actually live with that family as if they were family. Yep. And, and yep. so that would be another one. And so it would be a, gener a, a generational thing where, you know, this family has served for 10 generations. Yeah, that's uh, a very good point. So it, it could be, in, in essence, it's a protection. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, yes, it is, but, and that's also why God, you know, he seems to harp on this idea of be kind to the alien and the foreigner, because remember, you were aliens in Egypt, and it's, it's I think that's, I think you've nailed it, I think that's the reason for that. So, so, one of the things that we don't have today is passing down a trade or a craft. Not near as much as we used Not to, that's as, for sure. So, if... Part of that serving in the family was passing down generationally a trade or a craft, then that servant, because a lot of times they got wealthy. They, they acquired many things. They had, you know, property, well, they had possessions of their own. Yep. So um, this seems to be, like you say, a situation where you go to work for company A and then you stay there, mm -hmm. and you stay there and get the gold watch and, mm -hmm. and all the I, other yeah. stuff. Yeah, I, I used to. It's different than the chattel slavery that we hear in the modern 
you know, last two, three thousand years. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. I often talk about that with respect to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an old man anymore, I think. I sure think like one a lot. But uh, back when I was younger, you know, the, it, was, it was a common thing. I, I worked for a really good company. And I was satisfied working for the, I worked for them for over 20 years, you know. Um, the only reason I quit working for them is kind of got tired. But the, the truth of the matter is, they were always good to me. They valued my loyalty and my, you know, my, uh, my experience. Boy, that sure seems to have become uncommon anymore. You know, it's like, well, you know, I was looking for a guy when I hired you. <laughs> so, but anyway, so, yeah, you're right. It's that kind of thing. So, go ahead. If you were the son of someone who did this, I don't think there's a, you know, in perpetuity type of thing. Nope. That child that grows up and he has to decide, what do I want to do? Yep. Do I want to do the same thing that my, from a legal point of view, that my father had done to the, his master, or not? Yep. That, uh, know, he I, certainly does. But I think that if it the doesn't. Relation Go ahead. Well, it doesn't say, it doesn't really say that way, but it doesn't say the other way either. It doesn't say in perpetuity that, you know, you're, you're a, uh, your children and your children and your children's children are have to abide by the same legal. No, no, you're right. But I guess my thought is, is if, if the environment in which this is, you know, we're making this up, of course, but it exists, is that the, the master uh, understands the value of these um, loyal and hardworking people that are his bond servants, and he treats them well. And if they are raising their kids and they are able to instill in their children that this is a good thing, this is something, you know, um, we're learning stuff, we're of value in some way or another, and, uh, and you know, dep <laughs> depending on the rebellious teenage years, there's every likelihood that the children would say, well, yeah, I'll continue this. Well, know? that's true, but sometimes the, the, at some point the master dies and he has to pass that on to his son. And he better be the same way too. Right, so how many times do we have kings that yeah. oh, the father yeah, was okay, yeah. but the son was wicked? Yep, yep, yeah, I, I don't say it's, that's the ideal, what I was describing. I think yours is more common. <laughs> so the other thing too is, to me it's, it's a concept of sovereignty as well. Mm-hmm. If I have, if I am a bond servant of Yeshua, in in this spiritual realm, he's my king, mm -hmm. and I can't have two kings, then I can't have king in in the earthly realm. Okay. That's but, my. That's what I. That's, that's the argument, argument I would make. Yep, I don't see anything wrong with that. Well, let's look at the other side then, because let's say you know, in being the negative person that I am, in the majority of the cases. People don't decide to become bond servants. They decide they leave. What's the instruction to the, uh, the slave owner? It's you be nice to them. You know, give them, send them off with a good, uh, good bunch of stuff and a nice letter of reference and, you know, and, and be very good to them as they go away. Because They might even have seed money. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because I think, you know, it's the, well, in the vernacular, I guess, in the kind of the, the unbelieving world, it's what goes around and comes around. If, uh, if you're nice to, these, to the guy that spent six years with you, then it'll come back to you. So, what were you going to say, Margaret? Um, going, going back to um, Exodus 21, it explains a little bit more mm -hmm. about if he came in by himself, then he goes out by himself. If mm -hmm. he is given a wife, then the children become the masters. 
So um, I guess. Uh, well, the master can do, choose to do what he wants, right? Um, with if, the children. Yes, he can give. So them to they him. were. Bond, he yeah, them. yeah, right. Yeah. Bond servants. And I had a question on here on. Uh, where is it on eighteen? Mm -hmm. It says, "For he has been worth a double hired servant to thee." In serving these six years, what does double hired servant mean? Seems like if he worked, well, for, yeah, if, he worked says, for him, if he worked for him for six years, that's why would it be double? <laughs> well, mine says, "Do not consider it a hardship to set your servant free, because his service to you these six years has been worth twice as much as the, of that as, a, as that of a hired hand." Now that's a. Oh. That's, I think that's what it's trying to get at. He's mm -hmm. been worth more. Now, to me, okay. uh, that's obviously not going to be universally the case. But I suppose that what the, the point is, is this, this servant is going, because he's, I don't know, because he's aware of the situation, because he's a, a fellow Israelite, whatever, whatever extenuating circumstances you might want to put onto that, God's saying he's, he's actually worked, worked for you twice as hard as any hired guy you could have. You could have, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I guess, you know, um, as I was working in my work life, I remember there was a big difference in attitude between people that were doing this for the long term and people that were, well, I'm going to be out of here in a year anyway. You know, they, they, decisions were made different. The work ethic was different. The results were different. So I don't know, maybe that's what he's talking about. Short timer disease? Yeah, yeah. I had that all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yep. The longer you're there. Yeah. Yeah. Nowadays they try to get rid of you before they have to pay you. <laughs> okay, I figured we could beat that one a little bit. Let's go on. Unless there's some other other things. Would someone like to read verse nineteen to the end of chapter fifteen? I don't know if that she will. I would like to wait and see if make everybody feel embarrassed before they say, okay, I will. Long pause. <laughs> 19, you say? 19 to the end of the chapter, yeah. All the firstborn males that come from your herd and your flock, you shall wow. sanctify to Yahweh your God. You shall do no work with the firstborn of your herd, nor shear the firstborn of your flock. You and your household shall eat it before Yahweh your God year by year in the place which, the, which Yahweh chooses. But if there is a defect in it, if it is lame or blind or has serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to Yahweh your God. You may eat it within your gates. The unclean and the clean person alike may eat it as if it were a gazelle or a deer. Only you shall not eat its blood. You shall pour it on the ground like water. Okay. This is, again, this is a repeat, right? This is nothing new. We've, we've read all this, these things, maybe not exactly this way. Uh, first of all, it says the firstborn belongs to God. The firstborn of clean animals. And then it specifically talks about the, the oxen or the cows and then the sheep. Um, it says, each year you and your family are to eat them in the presence of Yahweh, at your God, at the place he will choose. So what, how is that to occur? What does that imply? 
Where's the place he will choose? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv. <laughs> so Jerusalem, and it'll be at... Oh, so that's where their capital's at? It's not Tel Aviv? Okay. <laughs> I wonder if, if they're going to pull that off. You know, they've been wanting to make Jerusalem the capital for years and years. Really? Because he was, he, was, he was dragging his feet for the last month or so. Well, that'll be, I'll tell you what, score one for old Trump. That's a pretty good thing to do. That's gutsy. Uh, there's going to be a lot of gnashing and teeth in Arab land. Um, anyway, so it's gonna, it means it's a, it had a feast day. So what it basically says is you're to take the firstborn to, to Jerusalem for, let's say, Sukkot, and you're to sacrifice them. And you remember you, uh, the, the one that sacrifices them uh, gets to participate in eating it. So it's part of it, part of it goes to, to God, part of it goes to the priests, and the rest of it goes to the offerer. But if it's got a flaw, don't do that. Right? If it's got a flaw, you can eat it at home just like you would all the other things that you can slaughter and eat at home for food. Right? That's what it basically is telling us. But don't eat the blood. Never eat the blood. Um, the thing that I couldn't help reading that, so um, the next one that this female herd or flock animal might have is no longer the firstborn, right? So it, uh, it really, I mean, I suppose, I'm sure, I'm sure that the priests had rules for this, but I suppose you could offer the secondborn if it was unblemished, but you wouldn't be offering it in place of the firstborn. You'd just be offering it. The firstborn is the firstborn, but the firstborn is not acceptable as a sacrifice if it's deformed or blemished. That, that's what I read. What do you think? So, so if if the firstborn is un is blemished, you don't have to give any anything to you. The secondborn, if the second one is or isn't. Is it doesn't matter because it's not the second born or not the not first, first born. born. That, is that what you're saying? That's the way I would read that, but maybe I'm wrong. And I bet you there's, I'll bet you somewhere in the annals of all of Judaism, there's some rule about that, and that may or may not be the rule. Well, I'm wondering if it's the first born of every single you, or is just the very first born of the whole flock? No, I'm thinking it's of every single you, but I could be wrong about that too. I'm thinking it's of, of, of every one. So say you have like five or six firstborn, mm -hmm. and one of them's defective. Mm -hmm. then, so then, you just take five of them. Yeah. Okay. That that's what I think, but maybe I'm wrong. Go ahead, Margaret. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting. This kind of hit me and never hit me before. It, you, it says in nineteen, nor shear the firstling of the sheep. So, you couldn't even take the wool from it. No. Yeah. yeah. Well, of course, the the firstborn of the sheep would be a lamb that's born in the spring, and if you take it at Sukkot, it might not, not I don't know, I don't know anything about this, but it might not have grown enough wool to be worth shearing anyway. I mean, I'm just... Question. If it's the firstborn of every you, what do you do next year? Well, no, the next year, there's... Every, again, this is my understanding. Every you only has one firstborn. Yeah. So the next year, that one's yours. Oh, 
okay. So you're okay. Now, got doesn't mean you can't offer it, but it's the the whole concept here. The way I understand it is the firstborn belongs to God, and so you give it to God because it's His. Yeah, yeah. But the second, third, fourth, and however many others she has, they're yours, and you can either offer them as you would like to for a fellowship offering or whatever, or not. That that's my understanding of the way that works. The first one through the matrix. The first one through the matrix. That's what it says in the King James. Does it really? The Matrix. Does it really? Yeah. I'll be. What do they have? That sounds awfully high tech for James. King James. Well, yeah, it's conspiratorial. So, oh, oh, I see. <laughs> the Matrix. Yeah, right. Keanu Reeves and Neo and all that stuff. Want to move on? Move to chapter 16. Um, let's see. Chapter 16 is basically kind of a rehash of uh, the uh, big feasts. So let's just read it and see if there's anything new in there. Which Can I like. read it? Yes. That's Can I read it reverse real quick? Yes. <laughs> Exodus 13, 12. That thou shalt set apart unto Yahweh all that openeth the matrix, and every firstling that cometh of the beast which thou hast, the male shall be Yahweh's. 1312 Exodus. Okay. 16, chapter 16. And uh, someone read the first eight verses, and we'll see if there's anything there new, and then we'll just move on. I don't think this will famous last words. I don't think we'll spend a lot of time here, but what do I know? Want to read it? Yeah, go ahead. Observe the month of Abib, and keep the Passover unto Yahweh thy God, for in the month of Aviv, Yahweh thy God brought thee forth out of Egypt by night. Thou shalt therefore sacrifice the Passover unto Yahweh thy Elohim of the flock and the herd in the place which Yahweh shall choose to place his name there. Thou shalt eat no unleavened bread with it. Seven days shalt thou eat unleavened bread therewith, even the bread of the affliction. For thou camest forth out of the land of Egypt in haste, that thou mayest remember the day when thou camest forth out of the land of Egypt all the days of thy life. And there shall be no leavened bread seen with thee, with thee in all the coast seven days. Neither shall there anything of the flesh which thou hast sacrificed the first day at even remain all night until the morning. Thou mayest not sacrifice the Passover within any of thy gates with Yahweh thy Elohim giveth thee. But all the place which Yahweh thy El shall choose to place his name in, there thou shalt sacrifice the Passover at even, at the going down of the sun, at the season that thou comest forth out of Egypt. If thou shalt roast it and eat it, in the place which Yahweh thy shall choose, and thou shalt turn in the morning and go into thy tents, six days thou shalt eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day shall be a psalm assembly to Yahweh thy Elohim, that thou shalt do no work therein. Okay. Just to there? Yep, just to there for now. Let's talk about that and see, is there anything new there that we didn't know or anything that you had forgotten about? Or Let's see. First of all, it says two or three times in there at the place where God will put his name. So, it, and, and it specifically says you're to do this in that place and not says verse 5, you must not sacrifice the Passover in any town uh, in any town 
the Lord your God gives you, except in the place that he will choose to put his name. So, in other words, Passover is to be celebrated in Jerusalem. That's what that says to me. Um, the other emphasis is he reminds him over and over that I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Yep, that's what it's for. Yeah. It's the a, whole it's thing a freedom. is to remember. Yep. It's a freedom yeah. celebration. That's a good point. Um, it talks about the bread of affliction. Now that's the, if somebody, you know, why is it, well, this is the standard question. Why does the bread have no leavening in it at this time? What's the answer? Leaven represents sin? Yeah, it, well, no. It's to remind us, to remind us that we came out of Egypt, you know, in a hurry, and we didn't have time to let the bread rise. That's, that's what the, you're right too, of course. But, I mean, that's, that's what the standard answer is, is the reason we don't put leaven in the bread is because we want to use it as an example of we had to come out of Egypt at night because God had told us to come out. Biblical, biblical fast food. <laughs> biblical fast food. I like that. That's pretty good. I think spiritually, this is something that, you know, once you decide you want to leave your sinful life that there should be no hesitation mm -hmm. you know to that's a good point to go unleavened to go unleavened <laughs> to, go unleavened <laughs> yep. to um, follow Torah mm -hmm. good. Uh, there's a scripture that says a little bit of yeast leavens the whole dough yep. didn't Jesus say that but I... I've always took it to mean that they uh, if you allow these teachings from the lands to infiltrate your dough, so to speak, yeah. you're asking for trouble. Yeah. Well, that, that's, um, uh, yeah, that's true. The, the idea is they, in the scriptures, especially in the New Testament, the Brit it talks a lot about um, that. And it's, it's, leaven is a symbol of sin. And a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Because the idea is, is if you let, it's kind of like the, nose of the camel in the tent, you know, kind of a thing. It's, uh, so I get that. Another thing that was reinforced here was that uh, uh, well, it was that you, you eat all of it that night. You don't have, you don't have leftovers. That came through here somewhere, but I can't remember exactly where. Roasted and eat it. Okay, That's First Corinthians five six, and Galatians five nine. What does it say? Paul. Oh, well, oh, you don't have to if you don't have them there. Nothing. That, that that's the one where you you little leaven leavens the whole dough. Okay, you want to move on to the next one? Someone want to read from verse nine through? Oh, one other thing I wanted to point out before we do that, it clearly says, observe the month of Abib and celebrate the Passover, Yahweh your God. What does the word Aviv mean? Spring. So Tel Aviv literally means spring hill. As a tell is a hill. So Tel Aviv is spring hill. But the point is, is to me, 
the, the, the Hebrew calendar, the ha- calendar that God describes in the Torah is really pretty cool, and anybody can do it. Uh, the main thing is, is spring starts at the, you know, what they call the vernal equinox, right? When the, the winter is leaving and the earth is warming up and the length of the day is equal to the length of the night, which you can measure with a stick in the ground, okay? Then the first new moon after that day is the first of Aviv. Then you count off 15 days, 14, and that's Passover. And it says that all real clearly. And then everything is determined from there. Um, And the nice thing about it is the problem of leap years go away. Because every year you start over again. Every year you base your calendar on the fact that there's the equinox and then there's a new moon. And once the equinox happens, you look for the new moon. When you find the new moon, start again. And so some years you have 12 months and some years you have 13. Doesn't matter because you start over again at the same place every single time. I thought that was really kind of cool. Yeah. Just for everybody's knowledge, the calendar has been set. It's on the website. Key dates. Go to that link, and they'll have the calendar for for all of next year. Great. Great. It's, did I understand that next year our dates line up with the traditional Jewish dates? For, for rabbinic, yeah. Okay. That's cool. Okay, now then, unless there's no other content or comments about that. Even, even Shabbat because they do it on the next. Does that happen on a Sunday? Yeah. I'll be. Um, For the rabbis. Okay. Yes. You asked for the edict? Yes. Uh, verse 9 through 12. It's not very much. We, you, we might give you another chance after that. Oh, goody. <laughs> you shall count for yourselves seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain, you should begin to count seven weeks. You shall keep the feast of the weeks to the Lord your God with a tribute of a freewill offering of your hand, which you shall give according to how the Lord your God blesses you. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, the Levite who is within your gates, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow who are among you in the place in which the Lord your God shall choose to cause his name to dwell there. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt. You shall observe and do these statutes. Okay. So what feast is this we're talking about? Shavuot. Yeah. Now, um, it's a little more obscure in this passage than it is if you go over and look at the, the more... Uh, full-featured passage in Leviticus. But the way it reads in my Bible is that uh, this, this thing where they called uh, the first, you know, let's see, the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain, um, that somehow or another coincides with the Shabbat that's going to occur during the Feast of Unleavened Bread at Passover. The Feast of Unleavened Bread lasts seven days, right? Now, Passover comes on the 15th of the month, 
So you don't know what week or what day of the week Passover comes on, but it comes on the 15th of the month. But because the Feast of Unleavened Bread lasts seven days, there's going to be a Shabbat in that week. And this, this day that you put the sickle to the standing grain somehow corresponds to the day after that Shabbat. Or that Shabbat, let's say, that Shabbat. That, that's the Shabbat that this is referring to. That's the day it's referring to. And you count seven Shabbats after that. And, of course, the neat thing about that is, does anybody know what the Hebrew word for seven is? No, seven is Sheva. Sheva Shavaot is sevens. So it's sevens. So you count seven sevens, which is Shavuot. And what day of the week does that put you on? Sunday. Yeah, Shabbat. It puts you on a, a Shabbat, and then Shavuot oh. is the day after that. So you count 49 days, and the 50th day is Shavuot. So that's how that works. It's always on a Sunday. Unless you're following the rabbinic, which is... The, what they do with the rabbinic calendar is they assign this day in that week of unleavened bread a specific date. It's not, it's like the, I don't know, the 18th or something. It's, it's, always, it's always a certain number of days after Passover. I don't know what it is. But if you, if you go back and read it carefully, I think you'll see that what it basically says is, is you count seven Shabbats. And if you count seven Shabbats, that's 49 days. And then the day after that seventh Shabbat is Shavuot. It's 50 days. It's always on the Sunday. And, and of course, I, I struggle a little bit because a lot of times, you know, people like us try to make things fit so that they'll turn out cool for the stuff that we want to be true. You know what I mean? But this one really does. This one really does work out that as long as you uh, agree that you count the seven Shabbats starting from that one that occurs in the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And hmm? Pentecost, means, Pentecost means 50. So it's Greek for 50. Yep. Pentecost is 50. Shavuot is sevens. So it's the day after the 49, which is 50. It's the only. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. The other two things about Pentecost is that, uh, number one, uh, well, that was the, the coming down of the Holy Spirit, Peter and his sermons, that what you're talking about. It was also, and this one's a little harder to figure, but you can, you can kind of see. It's uh, when Moses came down with the Ten Commandments. That, that kind of works, too. I mean, it works, but you have to... That one I struggle a little harder with because you... The, the problem is, is a lot of the times the translations aren't really, really clear. So you kind of have to... And, and again, I really struggle with this making it fit something I want it to be. You're not allowed to do that. <laughs> John. So, and, what we did at Sir Israel is we kind of believed that, mm -hmm. that it came that's when they got the Torah... And so our tradition was to sign a verse in the Bible, you know, that we wanted to sign. Okay. So we had our own little signing Bible where we, you know, like Galatians 3.29, errors according to the promise. Oh, I'm going to sign that one on Shavuot type That's of thing. Cool. Yeah. That's a cool thing. Or, you know, the Ten Commandments where they're given. The other thing, too, is the Pentecost. That's the only thing that the antinomian church does right. Yep. If, you, if you can let them get away with when they actually start counting, yeah. But it's 50 days. Yeah, they yeah. actually got that 50 right. 
Yeah. And, they, and that's probably the one they least care about. Like, oh, well, whatever, Pentecost. Well, you know, most, yeah, most, as you say, antinomian Christian churches, uh, they might mention it in the bulletin, but that's about it. You know? <laughs> that means, you know, against the law. Yeah. Well, Torah lists, yeah. He, he's trying to say that in a nice way, you see. Oh, uh, <laughs> now I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, um, well, yeah, I think they, uh, they also do realize that uh, Jesus was crucified. They always say it's on Good Friday, yeah. But, but they do understand that it was the Passover. But I think the thing they're missing is that Passover is a Shabbat. Uh-huh. So, well, it's so it's, he was literally crucified on a Shabbat, well, but it, just wasn't a yeah. Saturday. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is because Passover is always fifteenth on right. the fifteenth. Sometimes that corresponds to a Saturday, but sometimes it's a Friday. Sometimes it's a Tuesday. I think in that case, it has to be a Thursday, if I'm not mistaken. I've always but, I've read that it was on a Wednesday. Might be I, three I three that. days, three nights in the grave, and then. He rose on the Shabbat. Yeah. Well, he, no, he rose on Sunday. Uh, oh, okay. Yep, yep, okay. Yeah. All right, all right. I've read, Whatever. I think it actually says some, I can't remember, that it was the evening time, towards the evening, towards the end of Shabbat. So three complete days, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I That still confuses me, but I'm darn yeah. sure it's not Friday to Sunday. Right, yeah, yeah. I've always wondered that even even when I was a Catholic. Yeah. Uh, well, they say three days and three nights, but yet you go from Friday to Sunday. That's not three full days. No. That's only 72 hours. Yeah. yeah. You can't even get three nights out of that. Yeah, that's before Sunday. He had already risen before Sunday sometime yeah. in the morning. Anyway, um, Good. I guess. So the other one thing I want to point out is there's a thing that tradition, you can kind of see it in the Bible, but it's pretty much all tradition. Is this They call the counting of the Omer. When the counting of the Omer occurs, it starts on that, that Shabbat uh, in the week of Passover, and then it counts 50 days. And so by the time you get through counting that, you're at, the, you're at Shavuot. We do that around here. Ralphie prints out a list of the, do you read a different scripture every day? That's cool. All right, we want to move on, get, get the rest of this one. Um, somebody want to read from verse 13 through 17. I'll read it. That way you don't have to move. Verse 13, celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. Be joyful at your feast, you, your sons and daughters, your men servants and maidservants, and the Levites, the aliens, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns. For seven days, celebrate the feast to the Lord, your God, in the place that Yahweh will choose. For Yahweh, your God, will bless you in all your harvest and in all the work of your hands, and your joy will be complete. Three times a year, all your men must appear before Yahweh, your God, at the place that he will choose at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. 
No man should appear before Yahweh empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way that Yahweh your God has blessed you. So that, that's kind of the purpose of going over those three feasts, is to say those are the three times a year that you're supposed to go to Jerusalem and celebrate it. The, to me, the fun thing about the Feast of Tabernacles is that it says three or four different times, is joyful. You know, it's a, there's no, you're just supposed to be joyful for all you've got, for, you know, the blessings that God has given you this year, and share it, you know, share it with other people, just invite everybody to the party, have a good time. Go ahead. What's the Hebrew word for joy? That's it. What do they do at the end of Sukkot? They dance around with the Torah, Simcha Torah? Simcha, Simcha, yeah. Simcha Torah, that's what they do. What, thank you for that. The, the, the traditional thing to do is the annual Torah cycle starts the week after Sukkot. week after Sukkot is over, the week after Tabernacles is over, that's when they start reading Genesis 1-1. And then there's a Torah portion every week all the way through year, and if you do it right, then by the time you get to the next Sukkot, um, you're at the end of Deuteronomy, and you start over. And so, since it's all one big scroll, during that, that last, the eighth day of Sukkot, they all dance around, and they wind the scroll back, because they're at the end. They're at Deuteronomy, and so they wind it all the way back to Genesis 1-1, and that, that is called Simcha Torah. I've done that. Simcha. My wife named one of our cats Simcha. Oh, beg your pardon? Well, uh, yeah. As near as I know, the cat, yeah, it was a very happy cat. It's still in New Zealand. That's where we did that. So, um, Let's see, there's a little short passage, and since I might as well just read it. Well, actually, before I do that, let me make sure that we're where we want to be. This that's the end of the Torah portion. That's the end of Torah portion number 47. And so this right here at verse 18 starts Torah portion number 48. And the title of Torah portion number 48, if you look in the book, is Shaftim. Shaftim is the Hebrew word for judges. And sure enough, that verse 18 says, appoint judges. That's why it's called, that's why that's given that name. It's because one of the each Torah portion is given a name because the word that's translated, well, that word is in the first verse of the Torah portion. So we should actually start there and read. Well, we'll start there anyway. I'm going to read the little portion that gets us through the end of chapter 16. So it says, Appoint judges and officials for each of your tribes in every town that Yahweh your God is giving you, and they shall judge the people fairly. Do not pervert justice or show partiality. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the righteous. Follow justice and justice alone, so that you may live and possess the land that Yahweh your God is giving you. Do not set up any wooden Asherah pole beside that altar that you build to Yahweh your God, and do not erect a sacred stone, for these the Lord your God hates." We're going to talk about that for a minute. Where did the judges come from? 
The tribes. The tribes. So the judges are just people in the tribes, right? Right. Um, how were they chosen? Yeah. Yeah. They're appointed by the people. So that implies some sort of democratic process. Yep. Yep. It does. Um, what was the primary responsibility of a judge? To pursue justice justly. Yeah. To pursue justice justly. That's justice and justice alone. But it was, uh, that's true. That's for sure true. Um, Mishpat Tzedek. Or that would, I would think it'd be like righteous judgment. Righteous judgment. Judge the people fairly. Do not pervert justice or show partiality. Right? So if you were... I hesitate to do that. I don't even know if I wanted to think about this. But if, if it were to happen today and uh, we were to elect judges amongst our population, then um, you would, and, and someone wanted to run for the office of being a judge, the primary credential would be, you know, um, wisdom, just behavior, um, integrity. Oh, yeah, knowledge of the law, for sure, of course. Of course, that almost, yep, that's for sure. Beg your pardon? Yeah, yeah. So I guess my point is, is what you would look for is you'd look for some person who would interpret the law fairly, precisely, you know, completely, and without bias. John? So there's a maxim. You get the government you deserve. <laughs> and if you're an unrighteous people... What's the probability that you're going to elect? You're going to, you're going to be corrupt. You are corrupted. Mm -hmm. So you're just going to reflect that on the people who represent you. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you know, I'll give you five bucks to vote for me kind of a thing. Um, if, you're, if you're willing to vote for someone because he gives you five bucks, then that's, that's the kind of people you're going to get. Fair. Uh, but a judge is a pretty interesting responsibility. You know, the, but the king is a judge too because what does Solomon ask for? Wisdom. Wisdom. To, to do what? Judge. And the very next thing was the famous split the baby in half yep. judgment. Mm -hmm. yeah. So what result would follow from faithfully carrying out their duties? Follow justice and justice alone so that you may live and possess the land that Yahweh your God is giving you. So, yeah. in Sodom and Gomorrah, they were judged by God, right? By God. Mm -hmm. So it's common to say, well, it's because they had, you know, homosexuality or whatever. And that could, I think that's more of a symptom of what happened than, out, than the root cause. If you go and read the the other book, the uh, what's the other? Yeah, 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 sure. It describes it as just being very corrupt judges. The whole, you know, I mean, they were just corrupt. Mm -hmm. They were lawless, corrupt people, and that's why they were judged. And they were taken out of the land. They were vaporized out of the land. <laughs> yeah. But I'm mean, just saying, it's a good. It's another example of. It's the same thing, you know, if, you're, if you do what your parents tell you to do and listen to them, if, they're, if they've been given righteous instructions and they effectively pass it on to the next generation, you're promised to be on the land, right? That's the promise of the Ten Commandments. So it's, interesting. it's, it's important now to understand the Torah. Yeah. 
Well, law. it's it's also important. I was, you know, forgive me for going off this direction, but I was out today with my wife. You know, she wanted to return a pair of shoes that she'd bought over some department store. So we went over there, and she was going to see if she could find another pair that were the right size. And so she went in, she was looking at them. Of course, there's a gazillion people over there. And all the shoes had the special little, you can't get out the little thing without a beeping thing. And then they were all uh, Brad, you know, cabled together with cable ties so you couldn't get one shoe separated from the other. And then all this, you know, and it, it's the stuff they do these days, it really irritates me because, um, you know, they, they, make, they make everything more difficult because they, they have to. I mean, I'm not really telling them they don't have to, but they have to try to stop these people that don't have any sense of justice, any sense of, of what's right. The reflection of the society. Yeah, and it costs us all, and it makes me mad. Because, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'd like to be the guy that invented those stupid little things that clamp in there and go beep every time you go out the door, because I'm sure he's making a gazillion dollars doing that. Anyway. Yeah. Well, you know, it goes even farther than that, because if you... And I think one of the founding fathers even said this, you know, if you don't have a society that operates righteously, that's law-abiding, you can't afford a large enough police force to make it happen, right? Because everybody's got to be a policeman. There's not going to be anybody to work because you got to, and, and that's what it's kind of come down to. I mean, in the very fact, all the junk we have to do to get on a stupid airplane, you know, it's ridiculous. It was Asked of Benjamin Franklin, I believe it was, what kind of government did you give me, or did you give us? And he said, a republic, if you can keep it. If you could keep it, yeah. It's up to you to show merit, to guard it, to keep it. Yeah. Well, anyway, don't want to go down that road too far. Then at the end of chapter uh, 16, there was this, get into this thing about... Uh, do not set up any wooden Asherah poles beside the altar you built to Yahweh your God. Do not... Uh, Let's see, we might as well, well, actually, we should read that as, with, along with the first part of verse of chapter 17. Somebody else want to read for, what time? We got time, yeah. Uh, from verse 21 of chapter 16 through verse, like, verse 7 of chapter 17. Verse 20, 7? Yeah, 21, 16 through 7, 17, 17, 7. Do not set up any wooden Asherah pole besides the altar you build to the Lord your God. Do not erect a sacred stone, for these the Lord your God hates. Do not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or a sheep that has any defect or flaw in it, for that would be detestable to him. If a man or woman living among you in one of the towns the Lord gives to you is found doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God in violation of his covenant, and contrary to my command has worshipped other gods, bowing down to them or to the sun or the moon or the stars of the sky, and this has been brought to your attention, then you must investigate it thoroughly. If it is true and has been proven that this detestable thing has been done in Israel, take the man or woman who has done this evil deed to your city gate and stone that person to death. On the testimony of two or three witnesses, a man shall put to death, be put to death, but no one shall be put to death on the testimony of only one witness. The hands of the witnesses must be the first in putting him to death. 
and in the hands of all the people. You must purge the evil from among you. Here's a pretty sobering passage. <laughs> I can't imagine if we did that today, oh, but yeah. uh, <laughs> be a lot of lawsuits going around. Yeah, I was like, the ACLU would love it. So the first thing he does is he goes in there and he talks about, uh, I mean, is it the don't set up any Asherah poles or erect a sacred stone? Have we seen anything like that before? Is this the first time we've seen that? No, no, this, this command, this admonition in the Torah to not do this. My point is, is I bet I've read that at least a dozen times up to this point. You know, it's, um, whenever you know, I'm confronting, I shouldn't do this, but whenever I'm confronting people about the, you know, the difficulty associated with the, the pagan church holidays, uh, their, their response is always, well, that may be true, but I don't associate any of that stuff. When, you know, I'm in, for me, Christmas is just, you know, I'm, I'm celebrating the birth of Christ and all that kind of stuff. And I look at this and I say, it's really clear how God feels about that. <laughs> so I appreciate the fact that as far as they're concerned, their conscience is clear, and I'm not trying to say necessarily that I condemned them for it because I was there once, but... All you got, man, once you see this, it's pretty darn hard to keep doing that, if you ask me. Okay, it goes on, talks about don't uh, sacrifice a, uh, a defective animal. And then we get into the thing about what do you do if you find out that in one of the towns, some man or woman is uh, worshiping... Uh, other gods. Again, it's not, it's not, it doesn't mince words. It doesn't talk about, you know, cut off from their people or anything like that. It says, take them to the city gates and stone them to death. The people that, that uh, found it, do it first. Now, thank goodness, two or more witnesses. Boy, that's smart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of the, John. Well, I think I got like three comments on this one. <clears throat> it's the gods are the creation, right? They're not the creator. Yes. They're, they're turning the creations of the creator into something to worship. Yeah. Um, and yeah. also the two or three, most of the places where I see that, you know, truth is established by two or three kind of thing, Mostly it's with like criminal law, like this right here. Mm -hmm. It isn't, well, I need two or three witnesses for my theology. It's not, I don't think, as I recall, that that really happens. It's just about the law. Show yeah. me what you did. Show me as a crime or some property damage or, or, or something has happened, some trespass or whatever. You've been accused of doing this criminal act. Right. And then... They have to have at least two witnesses. Right. That's a good point. Legal documents as well. But is that in the Torah? I mean, I, is it, well, they're witnesses. A legal document would be an affidavit, for example, yeah. a witness. And I think one of the saddest stories in the Bible, and I, don't, I, don't, I couldn't find it right off the top of my head, but I'll tell you about it, and I bet you many of you read it, is uh, the story of, 
Naboth's Vineyard. Anybody know about Naboth's Vineyard? It's uh, in the realm of, or the reign of uh, Ahab and Jezebel. And Jezebel, you know, Ahab said, ah, I don't have enough time to mess with this religious stuff. You can do that, Jezebel. That, that can be your bailiwick, and I'll take care of all this going to war and stuff like that. Um, and this poor old guy, nice old guy, right, had this really nice little vineyard, and uh, Ahab happened by it one day and says, wow, that's really cool. I'd like to, I'd like to own that. So went to the trouble to find out who owned it, find out it was Naboth owned it, and called old Naboth in there and said, I'd like to buy your vineyard. Naboth said, nah, I couldn't tell you my vineyard. It's been in the family. I want to keep it. I love, love that vineyard. No, 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 I'll give you whatever you want. I just, I just would really like to buy your vineyard. Nope, I'm sorry, I'm not selling it. So it made him despondent. He was kind of bummed, right, you know? Uh, I ought to be able to buy that. It's not like he didn't have enough money, right? So Jezebel happened by, this is me making all this up, right? It's my, my telling. Yeah, it's my story. Jezebel happened by and saw he was kind of dejected looking. and says, what's wrong? And he says, well, he says, this guy's got this vineyard, and I really wanted to buy it, and I made him this really good deal, and he just won't sell it. No matter what I offer him, he won't sell it. And old Jezebel says, well, that's okay. I'll take care of it for you. We'll get you that vineyard. So the next thing you know, me telling the story, Naboth's, you know, minding his own business, and a couple of people came over and uh, accused him of doing some dastardly deed. Uh, it, it says that Jezebel put him up to it, and they hauled him off to court because he was accused of doing this dastardly deed. It was two people, I think. Maybe it was three, but it was at least two, obviously. And they found him guilty and took him out to city gates to stone him. Well, now his vineyard was available. But the reason that's such a sad story is, is because it shows what society can do whenever they're, yeah, that's a good, better example, what they will do. So, boy. Yuck. Yes. So it, it says two or three, mm -hmm. and then it says, this shall not be put to death based on the mouth of one witness. That's right. So is it two or is it three? Yeah. Right. Well, I, I, I took that to mean two or more is what I... Oh, I, okay. That's what I took it to mean. A minimum of two, because okay. the, that being the case of only one is not enough. So you've got to have at least two. Uh, yeah, that's the way I took it to me. So anyway, God makes it clear one more time that he really doesn't like the worship of other gods. And you can see why, right? Because it, it ends up perverting society. Any other thoughts? Yes. We'll get you. Wait, wait. Here's coming. The investigation, uh, where it says, you are told, you have heard of it, you shall inquire diligently, yeah, investigate behold, thoroughly. if it is true, and the thing certain. So that's one part of it. And then the other part is, he says, you shall remove the evil from among you. Yes. Not tolerating it. Yes. So after you investigate it, you have to verify that it's true. Yes. You, you, you acquire your witnesses your evidence, and so on, and then remove the evil. Yeah. Um, yeah. So There's a couple of things, just uh, as you were talking about that. It doesn't, it says the hands of the witnesses must be the first in putting him to death. Um, that can't be, 
there's no indication that this is any kind of a, uh, you know, a, a riot or any kind of a, a mad mob or no. anything like that. So this may be, a, a, it should be, a pretty solemn occasion. And I view that last sentence, it says, you must purge the evil from among you as a kind of a way of, him, of God saying, this is not a very pleasant thing to do, but you've got to do it because you can't allow this evil to be among you. Yeah. So if you see someone, they're starting to behave bad, and they're starting to go down the wrong path, and they're not doing a, it's a, a criminal thing yet, but you know it's going gonna, it's gonna to es escalate. You, you can see a high likelihood of that happening. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're like, you know, I don't want to throw rocks at this guy a year or so down the road from here. So I, it's, I need to be proactive and have him do the right thing. Good point. So it sort of forces you to be a good instructor of the yeah. word instead of waiting for him to trip up and, yeah. you know, that's a, that's then a you can. That's a very good point. So it would make you want to go to the person and say, you know, while you may not think this is any of my business, and it really isn't, you should be aware of where, of, of where it looks like you're heading. <laughs> right? Do you suppose that since I don't recall there being any um, explanation of in Nabal's situation that they investigated it thoroughly, or did they just take the two witnesses yeah, or I, more? Yeah, the, the impression I got, I'd have to go back and reread the story, but there was, the due process seemed to happen in a matter of just a few hours. So they probably didn't really investigate yeah. it a lot. No. Yeah. yeah. Well, so did they elect a corrupt king? So it, that's what happens. Yeah, the, I guess the people, you could argue that I don't know how, how much effect they had in uh, Ahab was clearly corrupt, but whether they elected him or the problem occurred many years, many... Well, it goes but, all the way back. It, it does go back to First Samuel chapter 8 where you went down that path to begin with. Yeah, yeah. Okay, before we go, let's do this, this next section because this is kind of fun. I think this one will... Think about some stuff. Some chapter, chapter seventeen, verse eight through thirteen. Somebody want to read verses eight through thirteen? Okay. Thirteen. over? <laughs> well, it's up to you. If you'd like to, you don't have to. Yeah, why not? 
I like this small group. Yeah. We can start over one day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when any matter arises which is too hard for you to judge between blood and blood, between plea and plea, and between stroke and stroke, matters of strife within your gates, then you shall rise and go up to the place which Yahweh your Elohim chooses, and shall come to the priest, the Levites, and to the judge who is in those days, and shall inquire. And they shall declare to you the word of right ruling, and you shall do according to the word which they declare to you from that place which Yahweh chooses. And you shall guard to do according to all that they instruct you. Do according to the Torah in, in which they teach you, according to the right ruling which they say to you. You do not turn to the right or to the left from the word which they declare to you. And the man who acts arrogantly so as not to listen to the priest who stands to serve there before Yahweh your Elohim, or to do the judge, that man shall die. So you shall purge the evil from Israel, and let all the people hear and fear and no longer do arrogantly. Okay. So this has got some pretty interesting stuff yeah. in there. Uh, first of all, it's, uh, it's this whole idea of uh, an appeal system, right? Uh, it, it's, if, you, if you can't decide the matter um, at a local level, then what are you supposed to do? Take it to, the, take it to Jerusalem. Take it to the Supreme Court, right? Take it up to the, to the legal beagles in Jerusalem. So we do that here, right? When we do it with well, a bet dean, we don't say, "Well, don't go to the members of the, the, the members of the bet dean to solve your problem." Did you go? Did you follow the procedure? Did you yeah. do it and go to, amongst your the one you have a problem with and deal with? Try to deal with him first, yeah. and then take two or three witnesses, and then bring it before the congregation. Yep. So even God is. is I, don't, I don't want to hear your problems unless you've done this process first. Yep. Isn't that what it's saying? Yep, it's certainly saying that. Um, it talked about whether bloodshed or lawsuits or assaults. Go to the priests who are Levites and the judge who's in office at the time and inquire of them, and they will give you the verdict. Here's where it gets kind of good. Yes, John. Or Marvin. The judge just can't make a ruling on it. I think it's not so. I, I misspoke. It's not really kicking it up on appeal. It's right. the judge says, look. I can't, I right. can't figure this out for one right. reason or the other. Either the case is not clear cut enough, or I don't right. understand the law well enough, or whatever. Right. Yeah, this right. is this is really a holdover from Moses. Yes, it is. It is. That's the same idea. Yeah. Well, that's who's talking about it, right? Yeah. Okay. Because he he didn't know how to make a decision about the daughters of uh, Manasseh, right? Uh, Remember uh, that Zelophehad's daughters. Yeah. yeah, they didn't have anybody to inherit the land. So what do we do? Yeah. Moses said. Well, that's a good question. I don't know. I'll go to God. Yeah, he went to God. God told him. Right. Um, but verse 10 is where it gets good. It says, you must act according to the decisions they give you at the place that Yahweh will choose. Be careful to do everything they direct you to do. Act according to the law they teach you and the decision they give you. Do not desert, uh, turn aside from what they tell you to the right or the left. Uh, in other words... Who has the ultimate authority about the way a matter is going to be decided? Well, the judge. Is the what judge. It says. Well, as an agent of God, it's yes. God, but yeah. it's the but Levites. The thing is, 
If in this system, and the way I would argue, the way it ought to work, the judge ought to feel a great sense of responsibility because if he uh, gets it wrong because of any bias he's got or any lack of effort on his part or anything that he's kind of uh, choosing to... Yeah, exactly. If he doesn't do this with the best possible motives, intentions, and efforts, then who's going to find him guilty? Yeah. So uh, the judge better, that's why you better vote for good judges. <laughs> yeah. So it says uh, to the judge who was in office at that time, so did they elect mm -hmm. one guy who was like the head judge of a Levite? Yep. Levites? Uh, typically, kind of like we, that was the, uh, let's see. I was going to say it's the high priest, but I'm not sure that's the case. I really don't know. It might be. Yeah, it probably is the high priest. I can't think of who else it would be. Yeah, yeah it seems there would be very difficult judgments if, if you have three or, three or four different laws in Torah that are involved, and you almost have to put them in a hierarchy. As to which is, mm -hmm. which is the higher, the higher one in precedent. Yep. Uh, which one takes precedent over the, over the other one? The Sabbath is a good day. I, um, when I had my children, I struggled with keeping the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. When I first started keeping it, and um, and I thought of it, well, we'll bend the Sabbath. <laughs> And this is how we started out when we first started doing the Sabbath. My children were in public school. Um, I didn't want to alienate them mm -hmm. from the peers. And so I would tell them, well, you can go to the school functions, but you can't go afterwards to do Burger King or, you know, to hang out. Um, and also for, like, birthday parties, they have sleepovers. You know, children have sleepovers, so... I tell them, well, you can go to the birthday party, but I'll come pick you up at 10 o'clock because there's two rules for the Sabbath. you gotta, you got to rest, you got to worship. <laughs> so those two rules. And so if you're at an overnight party, you're not going to be... Doing you one. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to be resting. <laughs> so um, I, think, I think there comes a time when there's, two, like I say, two or three things that are... Yep. that are in play that would make a judgment difficult. Here, here. Where it would have to be yep. elevated. I agree. I couldn't agree more. And uh, I'm sure that the ones these guys ended up hearing were not the ones that were easy. You know, they're bound to be the ones where you could see both sides of the story and you could understand how it could go one way or how it could go the other way. Yeah. Are you saying that the judges were from the Levite tribe? I, I've... Well, I think so, but I could be wrong about that. I'd need to go back and kind of think that through a little bit more. Why? What? Mm -hmm. What's that? If the, the point is, is the Levites are certainly the ones that study the law the most. Well, that's true, but it, I thought we found out that the judges were elected or voted on. Court. What? It's district court. I'm not sure. I, 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 hear, I hear what you're saying. Kohanim is priests, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, to make matters worse, 
all Levites, all priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. But I, I do believe that, like I say, those are, the, those are the guys that knew the law, the Levites. They were the ones that spent their time studying and understanding the law. Uh, but you're right when it said, I said, you know, elect from among your people. Uh, I don't know what to think. Maybe we should look into that. I think that's a good idea because yeah. if the if the Levites were the only ones that were chosen, then the people that lived but, way off in a different tribe over here didn't know anything about those. Yeah, How but, would they choose? I, I finally understood what John said. He was the place where we read from among your tribe, like judges, was out in the hinterlands. This says here it says if one comes before you that's too difficult then you're to go to the place where God will put his name. So you're to go to Jerusalem. And we know that it was the Levites and the priests in Jerusalem. <clears throat> but there's Levites scattered. I, I still contend I there's Levites scattered throughout. Judges. I think the Levites are scattered. Yep. They're not all in Jerusalem. They're out yep. doing... Yep. Sure they could have. Absolutely they could have. They could have also been just very learned and stellar on Levites, I suppose. You know, like Samuel. Was Samuel a Levite? He was an Ephraimite. He was an Ephraimite. And Samuel so. was a judge. So um, I don't think they necessarily had to be a Levite. But if you have a, a bond contract, a bond with a, you're, like we read earlier, you're a bond servant, and you have a conflict with whatever, the, another bond servant. You go to the master. Yeah. He says, what do we do here? He says, I don't know. Let's go talk to the Levites. The Levites say, I don't know. Let's take it to the Supreme Court. <laughs> so it could be all three of those. Yeah, it could be. It certainly could be. Interesting. Boy, I like these discussions. There I, is, oh, uh, I, I have a... Well, one more thing. and then okay. The one I wanted to point out was, uh, it basically says, whatever they say, whatever this... Supreme Court says, whatever this top judge says, you do it. And you better do it. Don't turn to the right. Don't turn to the left. You do it. It even goes on to say, um, act according to the law they teach you and the decisions they give you. What that says to me is you may not, you know, you may be <laughs> convinced that your particular argument is right, but these guys... They don't care, yeah. The, and, and if they're wrong, God will take care of it. Uh, but then it goes on to say, the man who shows, and I like, the, whoever read it didn't have this wording. It is perfect for what we're talking about. Verse 12, the man who shows contempt for the judge or for the priest who stands ministering to those that Yahweh, your God, must put to death, you must purge all the evil from Israel. All the people will hear and be afraid and will not be contemptuous again. In so, other words, the real thing that's going on, at least in those last two sentences, is you need to give the office of judgeship of this thing, you know. Great un, reverence. Yeah. Un, uh, un, unquestioning, yeah, unquestioning authority. Because well, because if you don't, you're challenging the authority of God because yes, he's exactly. an agent for God. Yep. yep. So the, the other thing I wanted to point out, you know, we have the commandments, mm -hmm. and then we have these judgments. So the fancy Latin term is stare decisis. Oh my gosh, I love that stuff. What is it? Stare decisis. Okay. Which it's, means? It's, a, it's case law. Oh, case law. Okay. Right. 
Okay. On this decision, we just say, okay, but it's, it, it's, so we sing the song, I love thy commandments and thy righteous judgments. Uh-huh. Right? We know what the commandments are. There's whatever, if you want to count them. But his judgments are, in this particular case, this happened, and you have to respect that, for obviously, for those individuals. But I would argue it gives case law, too. Yes, so if this here, has here. already been decided. Yep, I understand what you're saying, and I agree. That's, that's good. Mark. Yeah, to bring, uh, just real quick, to bring Joshua into the picture. Uh, the Pharisees and, you know, always putting him down for the things that he did. Picking corn on the Sabbath, uh, yeah. healing the man. So there's, there's righteous things that need to be done, and you do them. Stand with it. Yeah. I knew we were going to get. I, I like that one. That that was good to me because I'm, I appreciate the the discussion about who are the judges, whether they be Levites or priests or non. And I, I'm convinced they could have probably been anything. I mean, any as long as they had the proper character and and understanding and knowledge. Yeah. We're we're past time. It's been good. I've had a good time. So I'll close in prayer. Father God, thank you for, uh, for the evening. Thank you for your Torah. Thank you for the things that it causes us to think about. Thank you for the understanding we get by uh, exploring it and answering the questions that each of us have. I'd ask that you'd help us to just uh, put these things in our mind in the background, that they'd sit there and kind of percolate, and that we'd continue to think about them and keep us safe until we meet together again next week. In Yahushua's name, amen. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you. Thank you.